Got so many pieces and parts to this. All right. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Ready. Ready, ready, ready. So make sure I don't trip over anything. Um, okay. Well, <clears throat> when I was thinking about this... Um, talk today, I'm, I'm really going to talk about the, the fight for our faith, and um, you know, wow, what a year for me personally um, to really live out this message, so I'm definitely speaking from a place of living it out, not having it all figured out. I think sometimes we, you know, when we're, we go to a, a, a Bible study or whatever we want to call this, I don't really know if we call it a ministry we think that whoever is up here and whoever's willing has it all figured out. And I always say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm living it out. But um, at the beginning of 2019, I, you know, I, I journal. For those of y'all that don't know me, I journal just about every day. And um, usually at the beginning of the year, I feel like the Lord will give me a word or a scripture or something. And I'll write it down. And, I, and it's just something that I, I um, meditate on throughout the year. But it was interesting. This year, I didn't get anything. And so I just drew in my journal just a big blank box. And I just thought, you know, Lord, I just want you. And I didn't write down any dreams or any goals. You know how sometimes like you write that down and the end of the year comes and you're like, wow, I, no. It's so disappointing. <laughs> Anybody have that? And I didn't write, I didn't write anything. It was so different from anything I'd ever not died and write one thing down other than I every day for like the first several weeks of January I just kept drawing this big blank box and I just thought you know Lord you get to fill this year you get to fill this year and then this question began to come bubble up from within me and it really was a question from the Holy Spirit and I had no idea how God was going to answer this question and the question was, Ashley, what would become of you if you were to become brave? And I, I couldn't let that question go. I kept asking, what would become of me if I were to become brave? Because we think we know what brave means until we, you know, all of a sudden we find ourselves in the most frightening situation that we could. You know, brave meaning, I'm just looking up the definition. I love how Deborah and I always look up definitions. I was looking up the definition. I'm not as scholarly as Deborah, but I'm, I'm almost, you know, I'm not as an academia. But it's, it's that ready to face and endure pain and danger without fear. That's what brave is. Ready to face and endure pain without fear. And I thought, <clears throat> and the Lord brought that back to my mind about two weeks ago, and I thought, wow. What a year to unpack that. <laughs> wow. Because in times of danger and pain, whether it's physical or emotional, we, we get um, lured into fighting the circumstance right. when the real battle is the fight for our faith. And, and this, I see this over and over and over again where we get ensnared. Because we end up wanting to fight the problem. We end up wanting to fight the circumstance when the real fight is the fight for our faith. So I want to take you to Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Jesus um, has this very peculiar 
very peculiar way of describing the kingdom that um, I would have never, ever thought I would reference or I don't even, I don't know if I'm preaching, whatever I'm doing, sharing on until this year because I've learned it and I've lived it. But he's, he's getting ready to, he's addressing, John the Baptist has been put in prison and his disciples have come to him and they've said, are you really the one? Like, this is really screwed up. I mean, he's in prison, he's going to die and you're out here floating around, talking, and it's like you don't even care. You're not <laughs> drinking wine. Like, what are you doing? Because this is, this is super messed up. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. In other words, it's not going to look the way that you thought it was going to look. And then he makes this very interesting statement, and I'm going to read you three different versions of it. In the new, the NIV it says, and I'm at... Uh, Verse 12, Matthew 11, verse 12. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. In the Amplified, it reads, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. And in the Passion, it says, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and passionate people have taken hold of its power. The meaning of this is there is no greater fight. There is no greater pursuit. There is no greater victory than laying hold of the kingdom of God in your every day, in your every moment life. And it doesn't come easy. It requires passion. It requires force. It's like as if... Um, you're having to burst through an ice cap that is above you. You're going to have to have power to push through that. To have continual access to the kingdom of God is our greatest conquest. It's our greatest feat that we can set our focus on. And it is the one thing that the enemy wants to strip you of. To oppress you to the point that you want to give up that you want to give in, that you want to quit, that your faith is, it has flaws, that you don't have enough, that you can't do it, you don't have what it takes. Look at that person, they have it better. I can, I never will. I mean, or is anybody familiar with that? And it will, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. I always love your encouragement. Check, 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 check. Yeah. And it will require you to become brave. And it will require you to declare with boldness what you have yet to see, but what you know him to be. It will require you to constantly declare what you know him to be, even though you don't see it all lining up the way that you think that it should. It will be tempting to crumble, to fold, to want to give up, to disconnect from God, to fall asleep, to become passive. And I, and I, I speak from experience. It's not like, oh, I've never experienced that. I have literally experienced that. In fact, I mean, two weeks ago, I texted Casey, Deborah, Lacey, and I was like, look, I'm sorry. I, I'm, you know, not only have I gone through this whole physical thing this summer, which I'm still coming out of, thank you. Thank the Lord I'm getting my brain back. It's so frightening to lose your mind. Um, but I'm now facing this just heart-crushing extended family situation that is just crushing to where I feel like 
you know, when a, an alligator has something in a death row, like you're just getting spun around. And I thought, y'all, I want to quit. Like, I'm done. Why, why do I do this? And definitely, you know, why am I doing this? And um, if, it wasn't, if it hadn't been for their community of, you know, praying for me to have strength through something that I would never, ever wish on my worst enemy, I would quit. And I want to tell you this, this walk of faith really requires us to allow God to turn everything that we know upside down to shake us so that all that is left is our grip on Jesus and his heart for us. The further I walk with Christ, the more I begin to realize the less I know. The more aware I am of my limits and how desperately I need all of him, which requires all of me to be surrendered, subdued, stilled, and emptied. And it's not easy to get there. See, you know, we sing, like even today, we sing to, to invite heaven down. And, and we cry out to have his kingdom come. And, and we invite his kingdom. And, and when we do that, when we invite the presence of God, we've got to realize that something has to go. We can't invite his kingdom here as it is. Something has to go. You can't hold on to both this world and then beckon his kingdom at the same time. The kingdom of God is not compatible with the fallen world. And there will be a shaking. There will be a tearing. There will be a rending that must occur within us to be able to host the kingdom of God, to be able to host his glory. That's why it is it is violent. That's why the kingdom of God suffers violent. That's why the, the zealous take it by force. There is a force that we have to push through the oppression that we feel that wants to keep us small and make us feel like we don't have what it takes and we're never going to get there. We've got to press through that and reach out for his garment. And this is a daily walk. This is not something we do one time. I wish, you know, think about that moment that you've accepted Jesus Christ don't you wish someone had sat you down and said, look, every single day you're going to really have to, to understand what it means to fight for your faith because there's going to be days and there's going to be situations with, when things are going to rise up and you're really going to start to question everything you know about God and everything he said you're supposed to be in him. I wish someone had done that for me because... Um, when we walk in this daily submission, it's, it's beyond obedience. You know, obedience is doing what I'm told and maybe I have a, a grumpy attitude about it. You know, we can tell our kids to be obedient, like say you're sorry, and then they're like, I'm sorry. Well, they're not, sub- they're not submitted. They're not surrendered. They're just going through a motion to get to the next place. Y'all, we do the same thing. We think, okay, well, I was obedient. I worshiped. Yeah, whatever. Okay, let's hurry up, finish the song. I want to get this done, da 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 That's not submission. Submission is, it's okay for me to be inconvenienced, God, because today really is your day. I mean, two days ago, I found myself saying, Lord, forgive me for the days that I've woken up and been like, well, it's my day. This is what I'm going to do. I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want to be inconvenienced. Lord, this is your day. Forgive me for having that attitude that I own. If I really have given my life to Christ, then... Lord, you own the days, you own the minutes, you own the hours. The enemy is going to work in complete opposition to this because he will work 
to ensnare you, to influence you, to lure you away from the kingdom of God. It has been his tactic from the beginning of time. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve. It's not a new tactic. The enemy is not creative. He can never be creative, but he is very crafty in the way he presents it. And there are false narratives, there are pride, there are temptations, there are disappointments. There is life unfolding whether you realize it or not in the way you want it to or not. And whatever it takes for the enemy to capture your attention so that you're willing to give yourself away. And you're willing to fold and you're willing to crumble and you're willing to walk away. Or you're willing to just put your faith on the back burner, he's going to do it. Because we can say, yeah, you know, I follow Christ, but like we don't ever... Um, stir and ignite the passion within us that Christ calls us to do. We can accept Jesus and then we can sort of just live, live with it over here and compartmentalize it. There will be no greater battle that you face than the fight for your faith in Jesus Christ. Yet the enemy will want you to believe that you are fighting the problem so that he can remove you from that place where you're seated in Christ in the heavenly places and then he can just drown you in the details of chaos. That's all he wants to do. I decided the other day, too, and I, I mean, and I, I'll be honest, I feel like I'm going to come on strong today, and Deborah gave me full permission to do that, um, and Casey, too. Um, I decided that there's no such thing as quiet time with the Lord. You know, I used to say, I always have quiet time with the Lord, because the moment I begin to pray, the moment I begin to commune with the Father, shift happens. A shaking, a quaking, the army of God advancing. Shift is happening because something is getting removed. Something is getting detached and the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing the moment I open my mouth to pray and connect with my father. It's not about quiet time. It's about the quaking and shaking so that God can be established here on earth. And just like Deborah was explaining, the darkness is absolutely scattered because his light envelops everything. You know, God is sweet and he's loving and he's gentle and he's kind, yet he is fierce and he is bold and he is strong and he is jealous. And he will not stop advancing to pursue you and to establish his kingdom here on earth. What if you were to become brave? What if you were to become brave? I realize that on every front that we find ourselves, on every front of the battle that we find ourselves, it has such little to do with the outcome, but everything to do with the fight for our faith. Amen. I propose we wouldn't weaken. Even when the situation calls us out for the long haul, we would not weaken when we understand it is about the battle of our faith and not an outcome, not me getting my way, because as you know, there are sometimes we're called out for years to pray and stand for something. There are times we're called out in a short season. But I, I propose that we would not weaken when we understood this is about the fight of my faith. This has nothing to do with things lining up the way I think they should be. I, I, I want to share a dream I had. Um, I think this was about two weeks ago. Right in the middle of. Sorry, I have to get some water. Right in the middle of all this family stuff. Golly, there's nothing worse than family strife. I'll tell you what. It's, You're it's, the only one that has it. I know. <laughs> it is odd. It's odd. Everyone has a perfect family but us. Um, so 
So I want to I want to um, share p- parts of this dream. I want to teach a little bit from this dream. God definitely still speaks in dreams. For those of you who may, might be wondering, most of the Bible is filled with visions, revelations, and dreams. About one third of the Bible is um, dreams, revelations, and visions from God. And dreams are metaphorical; they are not literal. Um, as a Christian, we interpret dreams through the lens of God, through the Bible, not a secular uh, dream interpretation because I realize a lot and say, well, that's all the New Age stuff. Well, no, this has been happening since the beginning of time. The New Age stole it, and they're running with it. But, you know, it's one of those things that, no, God had established this from before, you know, before the creation of time. And oftentimes God speaks to us in a dream because we are quiet and we can receive. And it's, not, it's harder sometimes to hear when there's chaos or emotions are, are bigger. And so he uses a dream to help guide us. And if you don't remember your dreams or you want the Lord to speak to you in dreams, then ask and get, um, start writing them down. And even if they don't make sense, I mean, for years I've written dreams down. I'm like, I have no idea what this means. It doesn't matter. You're being faithful and he'll give you more. And then eventually dream interpretation, it is a gift. And he will give you the gift of interpreting that. But... Um, so I want you to kind of follow me through this dream. So the, <clears throat> the first part of my dream uh, makes me teary. I'm sharing with a group of people about my uh, maternal grandfather. I'm, so, I'm such a crier, and I'm so tired of that. Ah, Lord, I don't want to be that way. Um, about my maternal grandfather. He was a World War II vet. And um, I'm sharing in that dream the heart of him. And it's really the heart of that generation. And I want us to look back. You know, Tom Brokaw, uh, he labeled them the greatest generation. You know, it, they had such a heart to serve. If you, um, I'm sure many of y'all had grandparents or, or even maybe parents that served in World War II. Or they had this incredible heart to serve, which is not really existent in our culture much anymore. And um, when he returned from World War II, he... All of them had this enormous impact of they just wanted to give back. They were ready to give back. They were ready to rebuild the cities. They were ready to, to raise up the ancient ruins. They were ready to, to dig the wells and give back. And they were ready to, to leave a legacy. And they understood that the legacy was not just for them and their kids, but their children's children and their children's children that they would never, ever know. They had such this worldview of... We're doing this for the children we're never going to see. And y'all, we don't see that anymore really in our culture. And um, my grandfather served uh, in the U.S. Army. He was a captain in the U.S. Army. And what was interesting about this generation is that when they came back, they, they did not speak of the war. They saw so much evil. They saw so much darkness right up in their face. He served on the shores of Angio, Anzio, which was a six-month battle prior to D-Day to liberate Italy. And what happened was the Allied forces, the U.S. Army, was um, sent there to Anzio, and they were going to flank the Germans to clear the road to Rome. But what happened was they got pinned down on the beachhead. Now, my grandfather was also suffering from pneumonia at the same time. And yet he was leading a group of men. And they were pinned down. And, and, and it was such a fierce battle that the Germans began to send more forces to, to oppress them. They ended up losing, I think it was out of the 55,000 that went, 
28,000 Allied troops died on the beaches of Anzio. Um, it was through, reading about it this morning, it was through sheer bravery and heroism that the Allies held the beachhead and finally, with their long-awaited reinforcements, were able to get the victory, which what happened was it set them up to have the victory on D-Day because German, the Germans had diverted so many troops down to Anzio, they were then able to come in and create a victory on this other side. See, they were fighting, and they weren't even really going to see the victory, and, and, but they were fighting because they knew, they knew what evil was, and they were not going to give up. And what is, um, when they didn't talk about it, I think it was because, you know, they weren't going to give evil airtime. Why? They talked about the victory. They talked about coming home. They talked about being home. They talked about what they were doing now. They didn't, they didn't go back and, and, and talk about um, the atrocities. They carried such a sense of a greater purpose, and he never needed credit for what he did. I, that was one of the things that I think is so um, amazing about my grandfather. He's, he never, ever took credit for what he did, and what he did was pretty, pretty phenomenal. And... Um, Here's the danger that I see uh, in our culture. When we seek to remove adversity, which is the undercurrent of our culture today, to be kept by pleasure and fantasy and frivolity, we invite weakness of heart, mind, and spirit. When we seek to remove adversity, we invite weakness of heart, mind, body, and spirit. You know, they didn't shy from the fight. They went to it. We are born for the fight. But when we remove adversity, we invite lack. And lack is that state of being without. We atrophy. We become out of shape. It's like, you know, when the little um, ducklings or little chicks are hatching out of their egg. And you've heard the story about, you know... I think it was in Chicken Soup for the Soul, a little boy that went to help one of them come out of the egg and like peel the egg back for him. And then they, that little duck or chicken had a, a wing. It, it never fully developed because their strength is in the struggle to get out. That's where they get the strength. And it's all because in our culture, we just want to be comfortable. And gosh, we, want, we, we don't want to be uncomfortable and we sure don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. We sure don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure our kids win, to make sure they're not uncomfortable, to make sure they don't ever really have to face adversity, but we are inviting lack and weakness when we do that. Lack creates a constant leak in our identity and skews our perception of the world and those around us. It is a harbor for weakness where we live with an unguarded heart and an open mind that invites anything to fill up the emptiness. Anything that looks good, feels good, you know, we live in a society now where it's like, hey, if it feels good, yeah, it's okay. We get so preoccupied with feeling versus fighting a good fight. Yet no one tells you that you're going to have to fight to believe in who Christ called you to be. The enemy will work to discredit you, but y'all, we are so fully equipped in Christ we are so fully equipped to stand and fight off the lies. I think it's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about what we do here at One. This is not a plug for One, but it is a plug for One. It is what we do here is we help 
people connect and hear the voice of God so that they know how to be equipped when the enemy comes with the lies and assaults their character and discredits them. They know how to ask Jesus. There is no greater gift that I could give to anyone in this world other than plugging them into Jesus Christ and hearing his voice for themselves. It's the whole reason this building and that prayer house exists is that every single person that would come here would hear the voice of Jesus Christ for themselves because then they become so dangerous to the, for the kingdom. They're on fire for the kingdom of God. You can't stop somebody like that. This is where the growth is, y'all. The strength is in the struggle. I remember telling Georgia this the other day when she was calling and her, her dog was sick. She's a junior in college. She had like three tests and two papers and, and she had to take the dog to the vet and she was gonna have to miss a class. And like, it was just that moment where she was feeling like you know everything was gonna fall apart. And I just said, I hear your pain. I hear the struggle, but you can't fall apart. This is where the perseverance kicks in. This is where you take that muscle and you persevere. Yes, have a good cry, but you gotta get up. You gotta get going. You've got to know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I said, don't rely on your strength to accomplish all of this. This is where we ask the Holy Spirit, where we ask Jesus, help me. Help me do that. It's so easy to cave to the external pressures by shutting down, by numbing out, by manipulating, by blaming or self-protecting, whatever poison you want to pick up. But then we just allow lack and woundedness to be the theme of our life, and we become so paralyzed and ineffective. And we're working overtime to create and craft situations that don't cause pain. And we live from that place of, I can't do it, I don't know, I don't feel like it, it's too hard. I guarantee those mighty men and women of World War II, I, I know they had those same voices. I know they had that same thought that we're not going to be able to do this. But they didn't, they didn't listen to that lack. They, they turned their ears to wisdom, and they, which is the substance of heaven. And, and they said over and over, we're going to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're going to fight the good fight. We're going we're to finish our race. We're going to stay the course because Jesus said he is with us always. They were given so little in the natural to fight, yet they were fully equipped in the word of God. And what do I mean by that? This is the most extraordinary thing about World War II. The thing that I, I did not realize until my grandfather had passed away and we were helping my grandmother move out of her house. She had one of those houses like you didn't touch anything. You didn't walk around in a room. It was very, very formal. Things were locked away. But in his bedroom, uh, which she kept you know, for years without him, was this Bible. And it has a metal front on it. Every single World War II military person was issued a heart shield Bible that fit right here into their heart by President Roosevelt. Every single one of them. I never knew that until I picked this up. And I thought, isn't that extraordinary? Not only were they armed in the natural, but they were armed and dangerous with the word of God. And I imagine my grandfather over all of those days and weeks and months, this is all they had to read. And this is what President Roosevelt wrote on the front of it. He says, as commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. Throughout the centuries, men of many faiths and diverse origins have found in the sacred book words of wisdom, counsel, and inspiration. 
It is a foundation of strength and now, as always, an aid in attaining the highest aspirations of the human soul. Y'all, that's powerful. Yeah, they lived on the Word of God. That's all they had is to live. We are so distracted by social media, yet that is what they were fully equipped. Y'all, we want to fight the big fights. Then we will come to know and experience and witness the power of God in our life. Because where's the power in all the things that I can do myself? Where's the power in the things that I can do myself outside of God? The more I find myself in situations that I cannot do on my own, the more I know I'm walking with God. Did you ever think about that? The more I find myself in situations that I cannot do on my own, I know I'm walking with God. As Christians, we don't grow in our own strength. We grow in his strength. And stewarding our faith through adversity and disappointment will be the greatest victory you ever achieve. It is not about how it goes. It is about who you are. The Holy Spirit asked me last week, and he just said, you know, this was in the, in the morning, and I was just writing about just the heartache that's going on, and I just heard the Holy Spirit said, Ashley, what if everything is just as it's supposed to be? What if the most important piece out of all this that's going on is your response? Mm-hmm. Not the event, not the outcome, not the circumstance, but how you choose to respond. And when I began to allow his question to sort of settle into my heart, I was able to move out of that place of judgment of going, this is bad, this is wrong, and into this intimacy with God, into his embrace, where wisdom would arise. In the dream, back to the dream, the scene switches, and I'm standing in a park that's near our neighborhood now. I'm, I'm the age that I am now. And I'm standing outside and I see my grandparents approach me. And they look just like I remember. And they're dressed just like I remember. <clears throat> and usually when a, when a grandparent or a parent comes into your dream, it's, a, it's, either, it's an invitation for a generational blessing. Or if there's something else depending. I mean, I could tell this was a, an invitation for a generational blessing. And um, my grandfather just comes up and hugs me. He's on my left side. He just comes up and hugs me. And I'm just weeping. And um, it's when I'm hugging him. And and he kind of like, you know when you go to hug someone and you hug him. And then you kind of let go. And he goes to let go. And I just hold on. And as I'm hugging him, I look behind him. And he has the most gorgeous long white hair. Which he was balding. He didn't. It was all down the back. <laughs> and um, hair in the Bible represents wisdom. Just so you know. Now, if your hair is falling out in a dream, then maybe there's wisdom that you're not paying attention to. Or someone else's hair might be falling out in a dream. It might be they're um, not following wisdom. But I knew from God that this was an invitation to receive wisdom. And I, and I want to talk on wisdom for just a second. Wisdom is the substance of heaven, I'm convinced. It's having the knowledge of heaven's strategies, but here's the the key piece of wisdom. And not only having the knowledge of heaven's strategies, but the ability to apply it here on earth. A lot of people know scripture, they they know Jesus, they, they can quote things, but they don't, they lack the wisdom to apply it and own it in their life. And that's what wisdom is. It's it's um, the ability 
to know right from wrong, to know the strategies of heaven and apply them here on earth. It is a gift from God. And in James 1, 5, um, he tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. He gives it to anyone that asks him without finding fault and it will be given to you. Wisdom is granted or given when we fear the Lord. And when I talk about fear of the Lord, what I mean is this deep reverence for God. It is not like, oh, I'm afraid of God. It is this place of deep reverence and awe for God and his ways. This place where we put him at the center of everything that we do, of our entire life, and we stay connected to him. That we know that being connected to God is the most um, vital piece of my existence here on earth. It's that place of thriving in his presence. Wisdom, it grants us the the discernment. You know, Paul says like everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. It's, It's the ability to know, is this right or is this wrong? Is this safe or not? Is this good for me or is this may look good, but is it really wise to choose this? And here's the, here's the catch about wisdom. We don't get to exercise or use this gift when we remove adversity. We don't develop wisdom outside of adversity. Because it is a, um, it's a muscle that has to get exercised. And the only way it, get, it is exercised is through adversity. It's through being uncomfortable. That's why James opens up saying, consider it pure joy, my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, so that we wouldn't lack anything. God tells us that we will be enriched We will be refined. We will be rewarded, equipped, and empowered when we face adversity with the fear of the Lord emblazoned upon our chest. With that deep reverence for for God, we will refuse to sink under the external pressures and we will rise on the wings of wisdom. I want to go over to Proverbs and just read quickly um, the whole book of Proverbs written by King Solomon. I want to read Proverbs 1, 7, and then I'm going to switch to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In Proverbs 2, 1 through 11, it says, My daughter, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, And if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. It tells us right there, how do we attain? How do we hold on to this wisdom? We accept the words of God. We store up his words. We have a listening ear. We apply our heart to understanding. It's why we spend so much time teaching people how to listen and how to hear so that we can have a listening heart. 
We pray for insight. You know, if you are lacking in anything, we can ask and pray for insight. We, and then we apply it. Oftentimes, I meet people that say, well, God told me to do this, but I didn't do it. Why? Apply it. That's the wisdom. That's where you exercise. That's where you, you pull that wisdom into your life is when you apply it. We, we can search for wisdom in Scripture and in conversation. We, we welcome the time that God refines us and redirects us. We don't, we don't take it as condemnation. We, we see it as a refining. And wisdom saves us from defiling ourselves. This whole world is an invitation to, to pollute your soul. And wisdom is the one that says, uh-uh, no, no, no. Not that. Don't go there. Turn here. Do this. Uh, be careful. You know, because we just, we forget that once we step out here, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not a, everything is, anything that can come up against us, Lord, is this of you or not? We forget how to ask that. Proverbs 3, 6 says, um, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And then this was something interesting that caught me because in dreams, placement of where people are is really important. So my grandfather was on my left, my grandmother was on my right, and then when I was asking the Lord for the interpretation, I, I came to this verse which says, Proverbs 3.16, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Riches and honor meaning riches of the kingdom, the wisdom that brings favor in this world. Right hand is the long life, meaning the flow of his life through us. And what I noticed about my grandmother as she stood is that her, um, so oftentimes in a dream, something might seem pronounced. And I, her chin was really pronounced and it was lifted up. And I remember looking at her eyes and they were so clear, like illuminated clear green and blue. And I remember thinking, wow, her eyes are so clear. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what does that mean? And he said, keep your chin up and your eyes clear. Keep your chin up. What happens when we let our countenance fall? What happens when we look down? And he immediately reminded me of Peter when Peter's out on the water and he's got his chin up and he's looking at Jesus and all of a sudden he looks down and he just drowns in the details of what he doesn't understand. And the Lord was like, Ashley, keep your chin up and your eyes clear. And I want to make this point about the strategies of heaven. And if, there's, if you haven't been listening and all of a sudden you're tuning in, I want you to hear if there's only one thing you hear today. <laughs> only one thing, because I know it's easy to drift in and out. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. is going to save you so much. Of, of, it's all, I always talk about things I wish I'd known, you know. Mm-hmm. There's the one thing. The strategies of heaven most often do not contain bullet points on how to fix the problem. The strategies of heaven present ways to stay fixated on Jesus so he can go and work the miracle for you. That is the strategy of heaven. We are always looking for bullet points on how to fix the problem, and it just keeps us entangled with the problem. But the strategies of heaven... Most often, very rarely, would you act, would sometimes you get clear like bullet points, but the strategies of heaven are mainly geared to help you stay fixated on Jesus so that he can work the miracle for you and you will know that it's his wisdom. They're strategies of connection, y'all. They're strategies of connection. 
How was I, how am I going to walk through this? You're going to keep your shin up. You're going to keep your eyes clear and you're going to receive the gift of wisdom. This is what you're going to focus on, Ashley. You're not going to focus on the problem and the things being said and, and the stuff going on. You're going to do this. And that's why, y'all, the enemy works so hard to disconnect us from God. I mean, over time. And, and, and I will say that I feel like the church has allowed it. They don't know how disconnected they've come. But we are in this whole new time of an awakening in the body of Christ. And I, I so believe that this, um, the ability to connect with Jesus, just like how we are all doing it here and, and in other places around the world, is what is going to be this new great awakening for the body of, of Christ. In Proverbs 16, 7, and if you are in a rough time, cling on to this one because this is another one the Lord just boom, took me to, and he says, when a woman's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even her enemies live at peace with her. Amen. I thought, amen, God, amen. I go, yes, Lord, Jesus. How do we please God? We live from his embrace. We live from his heart into mine. We heed his wisdom. We stay connected to him no matter what is going on here on earth. So when the Lord said in the dream, keep your eyes clear, I want you to go to Proverbs 3, 21 through 26, and it says this, my daughter, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Don't let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, the, an ornament to grace your neck. And then you will go on in your way in safety, and your foot, your foot will not stumble. And when you lie down, you won't be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Y'all, it is easy to be bitter and offended and judgmental. It is so easy. But we are called to keep our eyes clear. I know that injustices scream for justice. I know that. I know that feeling. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. And it takes bravery to step out and forgive and not get offended and not judge because you will go against the current of this culture. But it is how we lay hold of the kingdom of God. You will have to fight for your faith. You will have to fight to grow your faith. You will have to fight to maintain your faith. And the way we fight is not by quitting. It's not by giving up. It's not by turning away from God. It's not ignoring God or his word. And it's not by getting offended. We show up in faith no matter how we feel. We show up in faith no matter how we feel. Our faith is not our feelings. Our, faith, our feelings must come in submission to our faith. And sometimes it takes days. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes other people to pray for us and get us out of that messy feeling and have our faith rise up so that our feelings come under our faith. And we understand that Jesus wins every single time. And I want to leave you with this story before we go into activation. When I was in the hospital in May, the Lord, um, I wouldn't say taught me anything because there's nothing you can teach when you're in that much um, physical pain. You're just in enormous physical pain. And also contemplating that I was, at this point, most likely going to go home to Jesus. But my Holy Spirit inside of me, I kept hearing these words Leave my lips. And I want to tell you, it, is, it has been something that, um, it is a strategy of heaven. It is a strategy of heaven. We hear this phrase, 
God is good all the time, right? We hear it, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That would not have helped me to hear that. Yeah. I, I'll be really honest with you, okay? That's right. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that wouldn't help me. So what I heard coming out of my mouth was, Jesus, you win. Jesus, you win no matter what. Jesus, all the time you win. I mean, the pain would be shooting through my body. And I, every time I just said, Jesus, you win. Jesus, you win. Every time. Jesus, you win. All the time, Jesus, all the time you win. You win, Jesus. And I would just say it. Y'all, I would say it hours. Hours, I said it. Over and over until everything and shift happens. Shift happens. Shit happens, but I'm going to tell you, shit happens. Shift happens. I'm going to get a bumper sticker and get it for our car. Shift happens. The kingdom moves in, and the kingdom shifts, and there is a quaking, and there is a, a rendering because Jesus wins every single time. I don't, I know we all face every, we face so many different circumstances, but hold fast to know Jesus wins. And, and if you're facing a situation where it feels helpless, hard. I want you to just begin to say that over and over and over out loud in the atmosphere. Jesus, you win. We don't have to have it figured out. We just need to stay connected to him. <clears throat> so I want you to close your eyes and I want you to go to a moment where you have first experienced God's presence or you're aware of God's presence. It doesn't have to be the first time. It could be maybe it's been here. Maybe it was as a child. I just, I want you to go to a moment in time in your life where you're aware of God's presence. What does it, that look like? I want you to look around. I want you to absorb where, uh, what's, what's presenting itself. And what are you feeling? Take note of how you're feeling in that moment, in that, in that time. And where is Jesus in relation to you? If he's far away, I want you to ask him to come close. If he's behind you, I, I, I want you to ask him to come around, to be beside you or next to you or in front of you. And then I want you to ask him this question. Jesus, is there an area in my life that could benefit from your wisdom? And if so, Jesus, I want you to ask him, Jesus, what is your wisdom for this situation, for this issue? What is it you want me to know, Jesus? What is it you want to teach me in your wisdom for this situation, for this issue? And I, I would just encourage you to write down what he gives you or, or what you're experiencing. I mean, you may experience a feeling. You may feel joy. So he's giving you joy. You may have, um, you may get a word, you may get a scripture. And I want you to ask him, Jesus, is it safe for me to apply your wisdom? Sometimes we have this strange thing where we just we just don't think it's safe. Jesus, is it safe for me to apply your wisdom?
And then I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to apply his wisdom? I may want to, but, in, but the want and the willing are two different things. I may want it, but am I willing to apply it? Because it may, it may feel odd. It may not feel like something that's familiar. It may cause you to go maybe have a, a, an act in the natural that maybe you normally wouldn't do. And I want to read, while you're in that place of prayer, I want to read to you the words that um, Paul wrote over, wrote to the church of Ephesus. And he's, it's out of Ephesians 1, 17, 22. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of his glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you'll continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that's coming. Lord, I thank you that we are never alone in this walk. I thank you that it is your desire to enrich our faith, to strengthen us, to empower and equip us, to refine us, to guide us, to protect us every step that we make. Grant us willing hearts, Lord, to apply your wisdom. Grant us listening ears to hear. Holy Spirit, would you impart to each and every one of us a deep reverence for God? Lord, where we, where we walk out of here with this fear of the Lord that we've never known before, that, that it, it comes upon us in such a way that we, just, we can taste your purity within us. Lord, I thank you that, that we are cleansed and purified by Jesus Christ. I thank you that this is a no-regret zone, that we don't live and dwell in the past. We're not listening to things that are chirping from, from behind and the years behind. You paid for all of that. You paid for us to be empowered. You paid for all things to be possible through you. And Lord, I just release that possibility over every single one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to be up here for prayer, but hang on. Stephanie Bailey wants to come up real quick and talk about the raffle for our upcoming luncheon. Thank y'all. I know I was a little long today, and, and yeah, bless uh, Casey. It's so good, Ash. So good. Um, 